0: Morning, everyone. Welcome to Calvary Chapel live stream. It's uh, a blessing to be with you, to uh, to consider what Jesus has to say to us today. And praise the Lord, we have a God who speaks. He gives us wisdom and strength and endurance. I uh, spent the week speaking at Camp Kedron, which is a Christian camp in Ingleside, and it was a blessing to, to talk to the kids about Jesus, how He came to seek the lost sheep of Israel and how we don't really, unless we realize that we're lost, we don't care to be found. We don't even look to be found or hope to be found. And uh, sometimes we feel if we're in the right that we don't need to be corrected or instructed. And uh, the Lord, He is gracious and gentle and merciful to teach us His ways and to instruct us in righteousness. And uh, the Jews had a unique relationship to God because He gave them His Word, He revealed Himself to them uh, in power, He delivered them, He helped them, He told them the right way to worship Him, and so they felt like they, they knew God, and they didn't realize that they were in desperate need of salvation, that they needed a Savior, and Jesus Christ is the one who God sent the Son of God. And uh, our text will begin in Luke 11, verse 37, if you'll turn there. Just a little background. um, Jesus is gonna be dining with some Pharisees, and he, he dined with many people during his ministry. There was one time after he called Matthew, also called Levi, a tax collector, to follow him, he invited Jesus over to his house for a meal. And there were a lot of tax collectors there, and uh, the Pharisees, those were the Jewish religious rulers, they were really surprised that Jesus, being a holy man, um, a respected rabbi um, among the people, some people called him a prophet, some people believed he was the Messiah, uh, that he would eat in the presence of people they judged to be sinners and asked why he would do this. And in Matthew nine twelve, it says, when Jesus heard that, he said to them, Those who are well have no need of a physician, but those who are sick. But go and learn what this means. I desire mercy and not sacrifice, for I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The um, self-righteous religious rulers, they did not see their need to be taught by Jesus, this upstart preacher from Nazareth, but in vain they kept the law because they refused the call of John the Baptist and then of Jesus to repent, to turn from their sin. And I love that Jesus willingly went to eat with tax collectors and sinners, and he also would go to the Pharisees' home who invited him. This memorable meal, it teaches us that we, like the Pharisees, when we think we know what's right, we still need instruction from God. There's still pride in us that he wants to, he wants us to repent of and to humble ourselves before him. A problem of the Pharisees we'll see is they knew the law. They knew so much about God, but they did not know God. And that's a, a danger for all of us. Hosea 6 6, it says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your willingness to humble yourself to teach us. Thank you that Jesus became a servant and that he has shown us the way to salvation. Pray, Lord, that you would fill us with your spirit. Give us understanding of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. So Luke 11, starting in verse 37. And as he spoke, a certain Pharisee asked him to dine with him so he went in and sat down to eat. When the Pharisees saw it, he marveled that he had not first washed before dinner. Jesus accepts this invitation of a Pharisee to dine. The Pharisees, largely critical towards Jesus during his ministry, they always sought to find fault with him, to trap him. With the exception of Jesus' interaction with Nicodemus, The Pharisees were not open to being taught by Jesus at all. They felt like they were the leaders. They were the learned people who did all the teaching. They were entrenched in their opinions. They were so convinced they were right, they stubbornly resisted God himself, and that's Jesus. And uh, it's a good reminder that I I really feel, uh, well, in my own life, I'll speak for myself, that there's a bit of a Pharisee in me, naturally, and I think it's true for all of us, Um. Paul laid down this, this important uh, principle in 1 Corinthians 8.1. He says, Now concerning things offered to idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love edifies. That last bit. <clears throat> Excuse me. We all have knowledge, but with knowledge comes pride. It can lead to pride. Pride it led to self-confidence in the Pharisees, and it moved them to despise others who didn't follow their traditions. And they were quick to judge according to appearances. Even the way that you washed hands or you didn't, they began to formulate an opinion about people. And the Pharisee who invited Jesus was shocked that he did not wash his hands before eating, according to tradition. And it's not that he lacked basic physical hygiene. Um, but he hadn't gone through this very involved public ritual that had developed, that you'd wash your hands in a particular way, and, and uh, you would offer a benediction over it, and, and it was according to the tradition. Ironically, the law never specifically commanded the washing of hands before eating. Leviticus 15.11, it speaks of rinsing your hands after you've come in contact with something unclean and... Um, there were times where the the priests would wash their hands and feet in the laver, but specifically the normal people washing their hands before eating, there was nothing explicitly written on the subject. Most of the washing involved the whole body being cleansed, and by the time of Christ, the washing of the hands it became a very important tradition to devout Jews before prayer, before eating, before working, and there was this formal process and. I love the fact that Jesus is the only clean one. He's the only righteous one there. He didn't need to wash his hands or follow tradition for the approval of men, because he's clean. This Pharisee who marveled, he likely made a judgment about Jesus, and we can do the same. I remember as a young, self-righteous person, being a, I was, I don't know, a child, and I remember being a bit shocked when I saw an elder from our church mowing his lawn on Sunday. And because he didn't observe a Sunday like we did our house, we did our yard work on Saturday, I foolishly made a judgment that his spiritual discernment was lacking. And it's possible to have a personal conviction about the way we honor God or the way we choose to make a sacrifice or honor Him We have this conviction so strong, we think everyone should believe the same. Everyone should do the same. And when others disagree, we might feel defensive or uh, feel threatened or write them off as being ignorant or wrong. In our aim to uphold one verse, we can foolishly violate several other verses because of our pride, and that blinds us to the truth. So walking in love towards God and towards others, it never violates the law. It actually goes far beyond it to fulfill the law as Jesus did with mercy and grace and love. Luke eleven thirty nine. 39. Then the Lord said to him, Now you Pharisees make the outside of the cup and dish clean, but your inward part is full of greed and wickedness. Foolish ones. Did not he who made the outside make the inside also, but rather give alms of such things as you have? then indeed all things are clean to you. Jesus addressed the Pharisee and those who were with them. He pointed out their emphasis on keeping a clean exterior. They're wearing the proper garments. They're binding tefillin and donning prayer shawls. They're washing their hands the proper way. They're only eating kosher. They cleanse their bodies in a mikveh. They offered sacrifices according to law, and they sought to keep the oral law passed down through generations of rabbis and teachers. And Jesus says, you're foolish, foolish ones. A fool, as defined in the Bible, is someone who lives as if God doesn't exist, and that's the proud. In their their pride, they're living as if they are God. They get to make judgments rather than Him. Now, there's nothing wrong with seeking to keep God's laws when they were under the covenant of law. It was a good thing that they were seeking to obey God, but they were foolish to neglect the inside that only God could see. So they are focused on all the outside things, what they're dressing and how they're cleansing. And, but God's like, you're foolish to neglect your heart because I see the outside, people see the outside, but I see the inside just as clearly. Their focus on the law and the externals was like someone polishing the outside of a cup that the inside is filthy. And that's where the purity needs to be, right? If you're going to drink out of a cup and you've put it on the dirt, the inside can be clean and the contents are still drinkable and fine, but nobody wants to have a mug that's been polished, sparkling bright on the outside, but it's full of stale coffee and cigarette butts. That's not the kind of drink you want to have, right? So God's like, you're foolish to just focus on the outside, but you've neglected the inside. God who gave us our bodies, our eye color, our skin, he gave us minds, a conscience, and an eternal soul, and he sees all the thoughts of our hearts clearly. He knows what our motives are and our angles and our aims. These men desired to be seen as generous and hospitable, but they were greedy for gain and honor from men. They wanted to be acknowledged by men, rather than pleasing God. Jesus called them to repent, to amend their ways. Instead of hoarding the things I've given you, give alms. Give, give money to people who need it. Give of your possessions to those who you could bless in my name. Then indeed all things are clean to you. So fix the greed issue in your heart. It's not your dirty hands or that you haven't said the benediction. It's that your hearts, they're filled with greed. Repent of the greed Begin to have your lives align with generosity. And then you'll be your all things are clean to you. But if the inside's corrupt, then everything's corrupt. Cleaning the inside of the cup, it makes it beneficial for the purpose for why it exists. And being born again through faith in Jesus, it would bring that forgiveness and cleansing and transformation by the power of the Holy Spirit. Before going to lunch, Jesus had warned. Everyone who heard him in Luke eleven thirty five, therefore take heed that the light which is in you is not darkness. The Pharisees thought they were bringing the light, but in fact, they were in darkness, so they couldn't see the light. They sized up others according to ex- externals and were unwilling and unable to address the greed in their own hearts because they saw themselves as clean. They thought they were the right ones. And I wonder how many Pharisees kept the law because they were Pharisees? Because they knew they would be scrutinized by their peers. And they didn't, because they were measuring everyone else according to appearances, they didn't want people to think negatively of them. How many people observed the law when a Pharisee was around, but behaved differently when the Pharisee was away? I think hand washing is a great example. I also remember as a kid, I can tell you, I was far more likely as a child to wash my hands if there was someone else, like if I went to a restaurant, and uh, there was someone else who had come into the bathroom. I'd be much more likely to wash my hands. I remember one time at school, the principal came in, and it was recess time, and uh, you know we're having small talk, as you do, and I normally would have finished up my business and run out the door to go play uh, tetherball or kickball or something. But the principle was there, and I didn't want him to think that I was a slob or not clean. I didn't feel like my hands were dirty, but hey, he's there, and so I wash my hands. I'm using soap and taking a lot longer, you know, of this precious recess time to wash my hands. But friends, how much? How how is that kind of like our walk with Jesus? Sometimes, it's it could be an outward show because we're concerned about what others might think of us, so we do things or we don't do things. Because we don't want to be sized up, we don't want to be judged because we judge others. That's the way we operate. We can focus on what we do and don't do rather than the condition of our hearts, and we don't think about the motive for why you're washing your hands, why you're not washing your hands. Unwashed hands contaminated with COVID is infinitely less dangerous than a sinful heart that thinks it's clean. You can wash your hands, you can wash out your mouth with soap, but only God can forgive the sin that's in our hearts. Luke 11:42. 42, Jesus continues, But woe to you, Pharisees, for you tithe mint and rue and all manner of herbs, but pass by justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Jesus now launches into a series of woe statements upon the Pharisees. He calls them out to their face. The Cambridge Dictionary defines woe as big problems, troubles, and extreme sadness. And so he says, this is your future. This is what's coming, Pharisee. Woe to you because of your hypocritical ways. Big problem, trouble, extreme sadness is yours. And he provided tithing as an example, something they were very fastidious to do. They took it so seriously to tithe of their flocks and their, their money that they even tithed of their herb garden. They would get their mint leaves and weigh them out carefully to make sure that exactly 10% was going to God. Uh, God commanded all in Israel to give a tithe of their increase and promised a blessing for all who did so. And they obsessed over tithing. They wanted to make sure that they, they obeyed perfectly, but they passed over the justice and love of God. So they were focusing on these little tiny details, but they missed the big picture, the love and the justice of God. They strained out gnats and swallowed camels. They ignored the justice of God, so they distorted the law for their own benefit. God gave them 90% and they were greedy with it. They were not generous with their things. And Jesus said, These things you ought to have done without leaving the others undone. Instead of passing by the justice and the love of God, they ought to have done it, and tithing was a way of responding to God's justice and His love. This word passing over, it means transgression. So they transgressed His judgment. They transgressed His love. They tithed of their stuff, but they transgressed God's judgment because of their stuff. And Jesus said, it's fitting to tithe. Not out of obligation to keep the letter of the law or with selfish motives, but in response to God's love and His justice. Legal, it does not necessarily mean loving, right? They they were keeping the law, but it wasn't an expression of their love for God. That is a way that we can show love to God, is through tithing, through giving, through obedience to Him. That's a way we demonstrate love to God. And the love of God, it moves us beyond just um, avoiding sin or sacrifice, but service unto the Lord and loving one another. I, I heard at camp, there was a camper who said, you know, I'm working on not swearing. I haven't cur- I've only cursed twice all year. I'm like, well, it's, it's good that you're working on showing self-control and controlling your tongue, but... How often are you showing love with your words? So it's good to avoid the cursing, but what about being loving and truthful and honest and kind and compassionate with your words? Because God's aim is much more than just don't curse or don't swear, but to listen to Him, to listen to others, to speak motivated by love, to edify, to encourage, to bless, to praise God. Instead of being proud by what we, we are showing self-control in, we should, be, uh, we should never pass over God's justice, His love, and His mercy. Continuing in Luke eleven forty three, Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you are like graves which are not seen, and the men who walk over them are not aware of them. At this point, I'm really curious what that Pharisee was thinking or feeling after Jesus started telling the truth about him that he never knew. He's like, maybe this wasn't such a good idea, inviting Jesus over when he he is, well, we'll see what their intention was in inviting him over. Um, But he says, trouble and sadness to you. These are people who believe they were worthy of the blessings of God that they had received and they passed over the love of God. They loved the best seats in the synagogue for themselves. So a place that was intended to be a place of praise and worship and the study of God's word, it had turned into a place for self-adulation and self-aggrandizement where people were glorified by where they sat. Now Jesus, he made himself flesh. He took the low place. He took the form of a slave and went to the cross so that we could live These Pharisees, they loved being singled out in public. They loved getting honor and recognition from men. Now, there's no inherent problem with recognizing which seat is the best. You know, you go to a stadium or a movie theater and you say, oh, this is a nice seat. This is a great seat. I have a good view here. That's not the issue. But when people lounged around the table, when they went to a synagogue, they were often seated in terms of importance and where they sat in society. And the best seats in the synagogue, that's where the most important and respected rulers sat. So in greed for honor, respect, and recognition, they sought glory for themselves rather than honoring God. Then Jesus drops the H-bomb on them, hypocrites. He says, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites. And a hypocrite is an actor. It's someone who has an assumed um, role, uh, different than themselves, and actors are skilled to adopt a different accent or mannerisms, language, appearances, conduct, that's totally different from who they are naturally or normally. Jesus includes also the scribes. This is the first mention of the scribes here and these were sofirs they were trained to meticulously copy the torah and they were seen to be the most trustworthy and pious to write god's word. It's like these are the people that are writing the word of god, they need to be the most holy, the most pious. The most solid people in faith, leaders. And these were the ones who had this made this attempt to be clean on the outside, but they were corrupt within through unbelief. And he compares them to whitewashed tombs. So it's a tomb that's been whitewashed. It's white, but inside it's full of uncleanness and dead men's bones. And he said, You guys are like unseen tombs that people walk on and they're rendered unclean. They didn't. It's kind of like a stealth tomb or a stealth corruption. It, it, they looked clean, but these were unseen tombs. So they were tombs that no one even knew that there was a problem there, uncleanness within. They covered their sin with hypocrisy. It did not purify them. What was unseen by men and unknown by men was known to God, and Jesus pronounced woe on them for it. Luke eleven forty five. 45, then one of the lawyers answered and said to him, teacher... By saying these things, you reproach us also. He said, woe to you, lawyers, for you load men with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets and your fathers killed them. In fact, you bear witness that you approve the deeds of your fathers, for they indeed killed them, and you build their tombs. Jesus exposed the hypocrisy of the scribes and the Pharisees, and now we see another group the lawyers that were there. And he says, Jesus, when you say this, you're reproaching us too. You're kind of painting us with this broad negative brush and we don't like this. As if Jesus wasn't aware of what he was saying or what he was implying. I don't think Jesus was implying anything. He was saying it right to them. And to reproach, it's not a word we use too often. It means to speak spitefully or entreat shamefully. Now in our justice system, Lawyers don't have any connection with a particular religion. They're, they're, um, I I suppose, neutral in those areas, seeking to uphold the laws of the land and precedent. But remember, the Jews had entered into a covenant with God under law. So these lawyers, they were responsible for uh, interpreting the Torah, studying and upholding the oral commands of the traditions passed down from the fathers, in the rabbis in the mishnah the gemara and the talmud these are the the large very large vol- voluminous works of the rabbis that defined the practice of law so the bible said so the torah said you must wash well they decided how you would wash what you must wash in how much water needs to be there how you would get that water the, the process or the, the technique of washing, the things you need to say when washing, how, what you're, how you conduct yourself after washing. So there's this massive process that was tacked on and, and fleshed out by these oral traditions. So because of these oral commands with this, these techniques It made man's teaching more important than what God said in the first place. And so you had all these different opinions about uh, the the correct practices to how best uphold the law, to have all these safeguards so you weren't going to break the law, but it was all external. It didn't deal with the heart. Jesus said this in Matthew 15, 7 through 9. Hypocrites, well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying these people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me, and in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Isn't that wild? Like, in vain you worship me. When you think of all the things people would do and all the things they would not do and the great sacrifices they made and how their entire life was completely um, just steeped in seeking to honor God and to, to follow His ways, and yet it was all in vain because they were following man's commands rather, and they did not know God. And this is an important point. These are people, they were lawyers, they were the Pharisees, they were the scribes, they were the best of the best among the Jewish people, The people who know the truth can be self-deceived. They believe they honored God with their practices and their prayers and their praise, but their hearts were far from God, and in vain they worshiped Him. It's like Cain. He offered a sacrifice to God. It was not accepted by him. It was the same for the Pharisees, and it can be true of people who are born-again Christians who have had a uh, filling of the Holy Spirit, who in areas... Uh, when we become proud and blind to the truth and hardened, like like the soil, like our ground, the soil of our hearts can become hardened, and we can be deceived. That's why there's all these warnings in the Bible, like "Do not be deceived." Do, be deceived, because we can be deceived. So praise the Lord; He's given us His Word and His Spirit. James 1.26, it says this: If anyone among you thinks he is religious and does not bridle his tongue. But deceives his own heart, this one's religion is useless. So James points out, if you claim to be a follower of Jesus and you have no control over your tongue, your religion is vain. How can you say that your soul has been born again and your life changed by the indwelling Holy Spirit who's pure, and yet there's this gossip and lies and profanity spilling unchecked from your mouth? If we say we love God, but we hate our brother, how can we say that the love of God is in us? We can think ourselves pious because of our commitment and our sacrifices that God never demanded of us. To obey is better than sacrifice, and if we will not obey, isn't it vain to say that Jesus is our Lord whom we obey? So he says, woe to you also, lawyers. He had something to say to them as well. They loaded down people with heavy burdens and they would not touch the burdens with their, one of their fingers. And people were struggling with with sin and struggling with how to keep the law. And instead of leading them to Jesus, instead of leading them to God, they added more rules for them. They put a heavy burden on them. With these requirements made by men, it's kind of like Pharaoh when the children of Israel were made to, he said, okay, you guys are struggling to, uh, to stay focused, so now you get to make bricks without any mortar and without any straw. you got to go find all the, the stuff yourselves. And they're like, how can we do that? We, we were having a hard time making our quotas before, and now we don't have any resources to make these bricks. What you're asking is an impossibility. And that's what was happening with the law. They were saying, you got to do all these things, but they never gave them the resources required to actually accomplish them, trying to, to do the work of God through the effort of the flesh. It's like a public servant who raises taxes for everyone, but knows the little loopholes that, have, uh, that keep them from having to pay any tax. And the system, which was developed in the, the temple, it was corrupt, it fleeced the people that came great distances and with the exchange rate in the temple, and, and, uh, yeah, it was, these people are going to worship the Lord, and they made it difficult for them. Jesus said in Mark 2, 27, that the Sabbath was made for man, not man for the Sabbath. God had given them a day of rest, and instead became a day so loaded with things you couldn't do and things you had to do, that it was laborious and difficult. And, uh, It was like the system was skewed by these rulers to favor them. And he pronounced woe on them for building the tombs of the prophets. Matthew 23, 29 through 31, it records Jesus' words like this. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, because you build the tombs of the prophets and adorn the monuments of the righteous and say, if we had lived in the days of our fathers, we would have not been partakers with them in the blood of the prophets. Therefore, you are witnesses against yourselves that you are sons of those who murdered the prophets. Outwardly, they approved of the prophets by building them these ornate and beautified tombs to to honor the memory of those prophets. But like their fathers, they were glad those prophets were uh, dead, buried, and silenced, They were witnesses against themselves that they were the sons of those who murdered the prophets because of their murderous schemes that Jesus knew they had made against him. And they said, oh, we're better than our fathers. We wouldn't have killed those prophets if we had been alive then. But like their fathers, they were unrighteous. They were guilty as sin, and Jesus knew this. Luke 11:49 Therefore the wisdom of God also said I will send them prophets and apostles and some of them they will kill and persecute that the blood of all the prophets which was shed from the foundation of the world may be required of this generation from the blood of Abel to the bl- blood of Zechariah who perished between the altar and the temple Yes I say to you it shall be required of this generation woe to you lawyers for you have taken away the key of knowledge you did not enter in yourselves and those who were entering in you hindered. Jesus is not holding back, is he? Now he's letting them have it. And it's for their good, it's for our good. The wisdom of God, Jesus said, was revealed in sending prophets, apostles, even his own son, whom they would kill and persecute and bring their murderous hearts into plain view so everyone could see it. God would hold them accountable for the righteous blood that they shed, the sacrifice of Abel. He was righteous before God. It was received by God. And Cain killed him. Zechariah, he's mentioned in 2 Chronicles 24, 20, and 21. He confronted King Joash about the idolatry and the princes as well. And the passage reads like this, Then the Son of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada the priest, who stood above the people and said to them, Thus says God, why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord? So that you cannot prosper, because you have forsaken the Lord, he has also forsaken you. So they conspired against him, and at the command of the king they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. If you remember the story, Jehoiada the high priest, he had protected King Joash when he was little, and Queen Athaliah was on the throne and wanted to destroy him when Her treason was exposed. They had her taken outside the temple and killed. And yet, when Jehoiada passed, his son, Zechariah, called out Joash and the princes in the temple, and they conspired against him and killed him there. They shed his blood there, and God saw that. And when Zechariah, before he breathed his last, he said, The Lord look upon it and require it. And God would. Every time there was a person killed who was righteous in God's sight through faith in him, fathers and sons would be held to account each for their own sin. Every harsh judgment, every false word would be they'd be held accountable for it for a just, from a just God. So Jesus, he says, "Woe to you lawyers, you've taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter in yourselves, and those who were entering, you hindered. It was bad enough that the lawyers did not enter into the knowledge of God, but they hindered others from doing so. And instead of teaching God and his righteous character, they loaded people down with rules and requirements of men, the traditions that uh, took the focus away from God and onto what you do, what you have to do, and what you can't do or what you need to do. They passed over the love and the judgment of God They offered vain religious activity rather than the knowledge of God. Now, traditions in themselves, they can be very meaningful. I don't want to get the idea that, oh, tradition's all bad. That's not the case at all. The trouble is, is when emphasis on tradition begins to eclipse God and His Word, making our acceptance from God dependent on our performance, either to do or not do something. A tradition, it can be started with an intent to honor and glorify God, but it doesn't take much for the glory to shift from God and onto to the tradition itself or onto us for keeping it. The people who claimed to know God, they did not know him, and everyone who sought God, they hindered, and God would judge them for that. When I was a kid, <clears throat> maybe because I was at camp, I was reminiscing about being, what was it like when I was in grade school. Uh, When I was a kid, some older boys, they came up with what they called a ninja test. And so me and my brother, they would tell us what we had to do to be ninjas. And they would give us these physical challenges. And they loved just kind of bossing us around. And they would laugh as we ran through a bamboo forest or jumped through spider webs or tried to cross a river that was really wide, like a little stream. Now these boys, of course, they were not ninjas themselves. They had no formal martial art training whatsoever. But they loved to just come up with new challenges for us. And it seemed like, no. Ma- well, this is the fact, no matter how many challenges we did, we were never good enough to be ninjas. We always had to go a little faster, do things a little bit better. You know, like, You're not quite there yet. You need to do this and that. And they just loved at our expense uh, making us ninjas that we just never got there. So it's like These rulers, they never entered in to the knowledge of God, and yet they were having people jump through hoops, and they could never know God either. And uh, they gave them these heavy burdens. They never led them to the Messiah Jesus, whose yoke is easy and his burden is light, who came to set the oppressed slaves free. Now, praise the Lord, he's come to us as the door, and the door he opens, none can shut. He's made a, a way of salvation and freedom through the gospel of grace. Luke eleven fifty three, and as he said these things to them, the scribes and the Pharisees began to assail him vehemently and to cross-examine him about many things, lying in wait for him, seeking to catch him in something he might say that they might accuse him the scribes and Pharisees and lawyers did not receive this wisdom from God graciously or even at all. Their their hearts were pierced. It says they began to quarrel fiercely, to argue excessively, to try to provoke him to say something that they could use against him to condemn him, to undermine his ministry. It's like they'd been lying low all meal like a venomous Venomous snakes in the grass, but they suddenly reared up to strike with accusations. When they sat down to eat, it seemed a friendly gathering. But as Jesus began to speak forth his truth, it exposed their intentions. And the masks came off, the, the, the fangs came out, and their tongues came out slashing. Jesus had been better treated among the tax collectors than he was in this den of self-righteous vipers. And Jesus knew this before he sat down to eat with them. And he still went. I love that about Jesus. He was willing to eat with sinners, the unclean people, according to the law. He was also willing to sit down with Pharisees who were self-righteous and who were plotting to murder him. This shows that there's hope for all people, even for the self Righteous, proud, know-it-alls who don't know God and hinder others, all by the grace of God through faith in Him. Hosea 6.6, it shows us God's priorities. He says, For I desire mercy and not sacrifice, and the knowledge of God more than burnt offerings. Now, God is worthy of every sacrifice, but His priority is mercy, to show mercy towards others, to give grace, to walk in His love, and God's provided knowledge of him through Christ, through his word, and Jesus who fulfilled the law. And that being said, there is an acceptable sacrifice. So we're kind of, we are kind—we can be an all or nothing type people. Like, okay, we're going to focus on mercy because it's more important than sacrifice. But sacrifice is fitting too. As it says in Psalm 51, 15 through 17, David wrote, "'O Lord, open my lips, and my mouth shall show forth your praise.'" For you do not desire sacrifice, or else I would give it. You do not delight in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. These, O oh God, you will not despise. Have you ever received a gift that you didn't appreciate or really didn't fit? You know, clothes, you may receive a gift of clothes and it doesn't fit you, or some gifts are probably better being exchanged But there's a sacrifice that our glorious God will always receive, and He delights in it. It's the sacrifice of a broken spirit and a contrite heart. It's being crushed for your sin. It's being humbled before God. And to repent, stop dodging, stop blaming, stop attacking others, stop vainly trying to defend ourselves from the piercing Uh, sword of God's word, what can we say but, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner? God sacrificed his own son to extend mercy to us. He has shown us mercy, and we ought to give mercy to others. May the Lord continue to minister to your hearts and teach you of his ways. As you go through this week, don't pass over the justice and the, the love of God, but walk in mercy and grace and love. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord, for your mercy, that your mercies are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And we ask, God, that you would um, cause us to hear your word. You would open our blind eyes. You would pierce our hardened hearts. Those we who know a lot about the Bible and a lot about you, I pray that we would not be worshiping you in vain because... Our hearts are far from you. Lord, give us that broken and contrite heart that's repentant, that's desirous to just be silent before you, to admit our sin and our great need of salvation. Lord, we we so often go astray. Please lead us back to you again. Cause us to um, be generous with our things and to give those sacrifices of our lips, to praise and glorify you, to listen to you, to listen to others and to speak Uh, your truth and love. Thank you, Lord, that you give us what we need and that through you, we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless.